السلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن اهتدى بهداو إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters This lecture today is going to be about what is Al-Madhab Al-Maliki the Maliki school and how did it improve and how did it spread and all things that have to do with uh, with these uh, important information that any students that is studying the Maliki Madhab would like to understand and know it's like an introduction to the Maliki school. So uh, when we speak about the Maliki Madhab, Madhab is a word that comes from dhahab, yadhabu, that means he went. So when you go somewhere, that means dhahabta madhaban. And the same thing when you say, when you follow a school, that means you went towards the school's doctrine, the school's steps, and uh, whatever like that. So therefore, when we say a madhab, that means it's a school that has special um, things, opinions, uh, special uh, thinking and stuff like that. So uh, when we're speaking about the Maliki school, we're speaking about the school that is referred to Imam Malik ibn Anas ibn Malik ibn Abi Amir al-Asbahi rahimahullah al-Madini. So he is from a tribe called Dhu Asbah, which is originally a Yemeni tribe, but his uh, grandfathers uh, migrated from Yemen to Medina. So they are from Medina, actually. That's why they say Al-Madini. His ancestors were from Medina, which means the city of the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu It's Medina to Rasulullah, Sallallahu the city of our beloved Messenger, Sallallahu So therefore, actually, uh, a Maliki school is not the school of Imam Malik. It's the school of the scholars of Medina. It's the school of the scholars of Medina. That's why they used to call it in the ancient days Madhabu Ahlil Medina. And when we say Madhabu Ahlil Medina, that means it's the school of the scholars, the way of thinking that was in Medina and we have a lots of uh, scholars that are from Medina, and uh, they are similar to each other. They have the same way of thinking, and they have the same opinions in several things. But does that mean that this madhab has only one opinion in every chapter of it, or every aspects of it? No, of course. We can find 
a lot of opinions inside Medina and outside Medina from the scholars that followed the scholars of Medina. The story begins from the days of our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu when he used to spread knowledge to his companions and his companions uh, learned from him uh, lots of things that were based on the holy book and the sunnah which means the tradition or the way of our beloved Prophet Muhammad and all of these companions were in Medina and after that when Mecca got conquered they were in Mecca in all the Arabian Peninsula so the Prophet ﷺ didn't pass away until he conquered all of the Arabian Peninsula and a lots of people came from their lands and uh, submitted to the Prophet ﷺ. cities and villages and tribes of Arabia so the ones that met our beloved Prophet ﷺ were all considered as Sahaba, companions of the Prophet ﷺ. But there were a lots of or a few Sahaba that uh, went deep in uh, in jurisprudence, which is the fiqh. And there were others that just imitated their ancestors. Why? Because, you know, there are people who are busy in their job. Some of them are busy in fighting in battles like Khalid bin Walid. He's not known to be as a scholar, but he's known to be as uh, a perfect or a, a, a super general of war and battles. And that's why uh, he used to pray with people and lead them in prayer with short chapters of the Holy Quran, short surahs. So when they complained about that, and Umar asked him about that, he said, Oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, I was busy in the battle, so I didn't have time to memorize the Holy Quran. So actually, you don't find Khadim Walid uh, as a Sahabi that has opinions in jurisprudence, nor in tafsir al-Qur'an, commentary of the Qur'an, nor in other aspects. But you find Khadim Walid as a general of wars and battles that he conquered lots of lands and he won in all of his battles. He never failed in any battle. He never lost any battle. So therefore, who are the main scholars of the Sahaba, the Mujtahidun. Ibn Hazm, rahimahullah, in his Ihkam fi Usul al-Ahkam, mentioned lots of Sahaba that were the leaders of Sahaba that spread knowledge. You can find amongst them the four righteous caliphs like uh, Abu Bakr and Uthman, Abu Bakr and uh, Umar, and Uthman and Ali, anhum. and you can find Others like the ten promised Sahaba to enter paradise, and like Aisha radiallahu anha, the Prophet's wife, 
and his other wife, Umm Salama, these are two wives that were very knowledgeable. Maybe Aisha is the most knowledgeable wo- woman in Islam. And there were uh, younger Sahaba like Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab, like Abdullah ibn Abbas, like Jabir ibn Abdullah, and like Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As, and others. Lots of Sahaba and you have old Sahaba that converted Islam or embraced Islam in the beginning of Islam, like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and others. All these Sahaba used to spread knowledge after the Prophet passed away. But all of them remained in Medina until in the days of Abu Bakr and Umar. Umar didn't let any of the Sahaba go out of Medina. Because he used to take their opinions, he used to uh, consult, take consult, consultation from them, and he had something like a, a consultation um, uh, it, it's like a parliament or something like that. They used to take their opinions and, and stuff like that. But when Umar passed away, Uthman had his own way of, his own strategy and own policy in ruling the Islamic State, which spread until Morocco and spread it from the, from the west and until Afghanistan from the east until uh, Azerbaijan and the and north until Nuba or Sudan nowadays in, in, in the south. It was a, a big state. And it contained a lot of uh, people, a lot of uh, nations, a lot of new people that converted Islam from all types of nations like uh, Arabs, Persians, Romans, and Egyptians, Copts, Ants. Africans and Berber and stuff like that. All these nations are lots, lots of nations. So they need, they had to have scholars, Sahaba, and stuff like that to teach them. A lot of Sahaba spread. They went fighting and spreading the word of God in the world. So this guy was, this guy died here, this guy died here, this guy died Everyone died in a place, and when he was there, he used to teach people. And we had some main Sahaba that worked on that. So Medina had its own people and others that spread in the world. So we had in Medina, Umar, Abu Bakr and Umar, and Uthman. And we had there Aisha And we had there Abdullah ibn Umar. Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab. And after, and we had there Jabir ibn Abdullah. So we had there a lots of Sahaba In Iraq, especially in Kufa, which was a special city, uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud started there his job in the days of Umar. Umar sent him to teach people there. And then later on, Ali radiallahu anhu made it his capital when he went to Iraq. 
But a lot of Sahaba settled even in Basra, which is a city close to, more close to the Arabian Peninsula. And nowadays it's so close to Kuwait. It was a big city that a lot of Sahaba settled in like Anas ibn Malik radiallahu the Prophet servants. So he settled there. And he had a lot of students like Ibn Mas'ud had a lot of students as well. And Ali had a lot of students. But all of the students of Ibn Mas'ud became the students of Ali Abu Darda remained in Sham, Damascus. And before him or in the same time Muawiyah settled there for a long time. But Muawiyah was a ruler where uh, Abu Darda used to teach people and even Mu'adh ibn Jabal which is considered one of the most knowledgeable Sahaba he passed away in the plug of Amawas which killed a lot of people and he was dead there and Amawas is a city now in Palestine so Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As settled in Egypt he used to go sometimes in Egypt and sometimes in Taif, uh, of a city close to Mecca right now, about 80 kilometers from Mecca. It's a well-known city in Arabia. So therefore, Abdullah ibn Abbas settled in Mecca and he had a lot of students there and he had a school there. So every one of these Sahaba later on had students from the Tabi'un, which are the followers of the Sahaba. And Abu Hanifa anhu, rahimahullah, inherited the school of Kufa, where Imam Shafi'i inherited the school of Mecca, and Al Awza'i inherited the school of Sham, and Ibn uh, Al Layth ibn Sa'd inherited the school of Egypt. And Al-Imam Malik, rahimahullah, inherited the school of Medina. But the school of Medina got merged with the school of Mecca because Shafi'i, rahimahullah, came to Medina and he saddled there a few times and narrated Al-Muatta. He narrated Al-Muatta from Imam Malik and he learned from him. And he became one of his students. And the school of Sham, Syria, and the school of Egypt merged with the school of Medina because they were similar to it and close to it. So we lost the school of Lauzai, although it spread in Morocco and in Andalusia in some time. And we lost the school of Layth ibn Sa'd because Imam Shafi'i said that Layth was more knowledgeable than Malik, but his students lost them. So his students didn't take care of him. And some of his students, or many of them, were his students and Imam Malik's students. So therefore, uh, Imam Shafi'i later on made his own school because he went to Iraq and he took knowledge from the students of Abu Hanifa. And then he went to Egypt and he settled there and he created his own way, which is called Madrasatu Al-Hadith. 
It's not referred to any city. And he used to say, إِذَا صَحَّ الْحَدِيثُ فَهُوَ مَذْهَبِي If the hadith is authentic, that's my, that's my opinion. So he follows hadith without paying attention to any city. Where an Imam Abu Hanifa focuses on the scholars of Kufa. So it's called Madhabu Ahlul Kufa or Madhabu Al-Iraqiyin. Madhabu Ahlul Iraq. And the school of Basra merged with it, so it became one school. And we had, and later on they called it Madrasatul Ra'i. And uh, the school of Hijaz took all the schools of Mecca and Medina and stuff like that, became the Madrasatul Hijaz. Madrasatul Hijaz, the school of Hijaz, focused on the scholars of Hijaz. Because later on, we had famous scholars in Hijaz, especially in Medina, which are Atba'u Tabi'een, like whom? Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utbah ibn Mas'ud, like Muhammad Muslim ibn Shahab al-Zuhri, like Ali ibn Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, like Abdullah ibn Hassan ibn Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib, like... Uh, like uh, Salim ibn Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab, like Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr al-Siddiq, like Urwat ibn Zubair, Urwat ibn Zubair ibn Awam, like Abu Bakr ibn Harith uh, ibn Amr ibn Hisham, no, Abu Bakr ibn Harith, Abu Bakr ibn Abdurrahman ibn Harith ibn Hisham, Abu Bakr ibn Abdurrahman ibn Harith ibn Hisham, and like others, lots of scholars, and like Rabi'ah ibn Abi Abdul Rahman, that was called Rabi'atul Ra'i, and others, which are the professors of Imam Malik, rahimahullah. And in, and in Mecca, we had Atah ibn Abi Rabah, we had Tawus al-Yamani, we had Mujahid ibn Jabr, we had Sa'id ibn Jubair, and others, who were students of Imam ibn Abbas, and we, they, later on we had Abdul Malik ibn Juraj, and uh, Muslim Khalid al-Zinji which was the professor Imam Shafi and as I told you Imam Shafi later on uh, became one of the students of Imam Malik and Imam Shafi when he went to Iraq he spread his doctrine which is when the hadith is authentic we follow the hadith we don't give our opinions or nothing else and that was against the school of Kufa which is the school of uh, called Madrasatul Ra'i of Abu Hanifa and his friends. And therefore, there was a clash there between these two schools. And Imam Shafi had famous students there. In, and to tell you that, the, the main students there that welcomed them to Iraq were the students of Imam Malik. So they considered him one of them. So we have here two schools that were in the beginning. The school of Hijaz that focuses on hadith more than anything else. And the school of Iraq that focuses on opinions and logic. There is a clash there between these two schools. Because these schools find that these guys don't pay attention a lot to the sunnah. Where the others say, well these guys don't pay attention a lot to logic. It is said that Imam Shafi when he went to Iraq by the welcome of Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi, one of the great students of Imam Malik there, and one of the great 
scholars of hadith, he wrote his book that is called Ar-Risala, the first book public uh, that was written in uh, Ilm Usul uh, Fiqh. Ilm Usul Fiqh. So, uh, when he wrote this book, it is said that Imam Shafi says about himself, لُقِبْتُ بِنَاصِرِ السُنَّةِ أو نَاصِرِ الْحَدِيثِ عِنْدَمَا ذَهَبْتُ إِلَى الْعِرَاقِ when he went to Iraq and he wrote this book, he was called Nasr al-Hadith, the supporter of the Hadith. And one of his great students in Iraq were three main students, Ahmed ibn Hanbal and Hassan al-Za'farani and Abu Thawr. These are, and there's the fourth one is Hussein al-Karabisi. These are the main students of Imam Shafi that were in Iraq and they spread his doctrine. Later on, Ahmad ibn Hanbal became a famous scholar that people followed him and it was separated from the Shafi school, although they are one school actually. Later, Imam Shafi went to Egypt and he started writing his books there, which made him uh, uh, separate from the Maliki doctrine. And that was in several things because the Maliki doctrine focuses on the actions of the scholars of Medina because he says that the scholars of Medina inherited the Sunnah of the Prophet So when the Sunnah, when the scholars of Medina have a, a, a wide no, a, a known opinion, he says that that's more stronger than one to one to one that narrate a hadith. So this is more stronger. He says al-amal, which is actions, are more stronger than only sayings. So he focuses on them. Shafi says, no, the, the sayings are as they are authentic, that's it. We don't pay attention to the actions of a city, no matter what this city is, because after, in the days of Imam Malik, things changed. And we had a lot of Sahaba that went out of Medina and spread in the world. So you see, it's uh, several uh, point of views. Anyway, Imam Malik rahimahullah, inherited the school of Medina. And he wrote his famous book, which is called Al-Muatta, the first book that reached to us of hadith and fiqh. Because Al-Muatta contains 600 hadith that are referred to the Prophet And it contains 2,000 narrations in, in, uh, in general. These narrations, 600 are referred to the Prophet and the others are referred to companions and uh, Sahaba and Tabi'een and Atba'a Tabi'een and it contains opinions of Imam Malik himself. Al-Muatta was narrated by lots of scholars. We have Muatta, Yahya ibn Yahya Laythi, the Moroccan Andalusian scholar. He was from a Berber tribe called Masmudal. And he's the last one to narrate Al-Muatta from Imam Malik. And that's why when you say Muatta, it's that book. And there is, I'm going to tell you the ones that are published right now. We have Muatta, uh, Abi Mus'ab al-Zuhri, which was 
the judge of Medina after Imam Malik passed away. He's from the descendants of Abdurrahman ibn Awf anhu, Abu Mus'ab al-Zuhri. We have Mus- uh, Muatta al-Qa'nabi who was uh, from Iraq and he came and he studied with Imam Malik. He was one of the great scholars. Uh, Muhammad ibn Muslim ibn Qa'nab al-Qa'nabi. We have Muatta Yahya ibn Bukair. We have Muatta Shafi'i. They compiled it right now in one volume. We have Muatta Ali ibn Ziyad al-Tunusi. We have Muatta Abdurrahman ibn Qasim al-Utaqi. We have lots of Muatta, several narrations. And we have Muatta Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani, the student of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah. So we have a lots of... Uh, what is Muatta? Muatta tried to compile the knowledge of Medina, the the main ideas and opinions in all aspects, all several aspects. So therefore, Medina was the capital of Hijaz. So anyone comes to Hajj, he has to visit Medina. There's a hadith that Imam Tirmidhi narrates that there's a day going to come that people would go and ride their camels. They won't find a scholar more knowledgeable than the scholar of Medina. Sufyan ibn Uyayna, the school, scholar of, of Mecca, says that that is Imam Malik. And lots of people said that that's Imam Malik, because when we see the history, we don't find a scholar that everybody came from all countries to visit and take knowledge from except Imam Malik, rahimahullah. And uh, this is what Al-Qadi Iyad tried to prove in his introduction to Tartib al-Madarik, which is a biography, a biography of Imam Malik and his students. So that's true. A lots of people when they came, they started visiting Imam Malik and taking knowledge from him. So we started having new schools of Maliki school. We had the main school, which is the school of Medina, and it had great students of Imam Malik, and it focuses on hadith a lot. We have there Abu Mus'ab al-Zuhri. We have Ismail ibn Abi Uwais, who was the, the son of Imam Malik's sister, and he was his son-in-law as well. He married his daughter. We have... Abdul Malik ibn Majishawn. We have Ma'an ibn Isa al-Qazaz. We have lots of scholars of Medina. And we have the second main school of the Maliki school is Egypt. Because the great students of Imam Malik were in Egypt. Amongst them is Abdul Rahman ibn Qasim al-Utaqi which was 
always with Imam Malik and he is the one that spread his knowledge as I'm going to mention right now. And we have Ashab ibn Abdul Aziz and we have Abdullah ibn Wahb which was a great scholar in Egypt and he took from Malik and from Al-Layth ibn Sa'd. We have Abdullah ibn Abdul Hakam and we have lots of others that were in Egypt. And that is the Egyptian school which is one of the great Maliki schools until today. Until today, the Egyptian Maliki school was famous. We have a school of Iraq. The Iraqi school is a very special school where we have Al-Qadi Ismail ibn Ishaq, which he was a great judge. And his, uh, the family of him, his family inherited judgment, judge uh, uh, posts uh, centuries by centuries. They were in Basra and in, in Baghdad. And we have Abu Bakr al-Abhari, we have al Qassar, we have uh, Al-Qa'nabi, we have lots of scholars there. And the Maliki school in Iraq was very strong until it started weakening later on. I think nowadays it doesn't exist anymore. Because uh, it's a strong school because they focused a lot on uh, logic and stuff like that. And uh, they supported the madhab by dialogues and debates with others. They had lots of schools there, so they needed to debate with them. And we have very interesting books written by the Iraqi school. Like an Ishraf uh, of Al-Ma'oon and Ishraf and Al-Talqeen of Al-Qadi Abdul Wahab like uh, like uh, the books of Nur al-Qassar like the books of uh, uh, Ibn al-Jallab like others all of them are very interesting books and many of them are published and uh, we have the school of Al-Qayrawan where they were the most strongest schools of Imam Malik's uh, students. They were very pious and uh, tough in, in uh, and uh, very serious in standing firm on Sunnah because they, were, they faced a lots of enemies of Sunnah like the Mu'tazilites, which were the doctrine of the Abbasid Empire in some times after Ma'moon decided to become a Mu'tazili member and forced all scholars to follow Mu'tazilite. So Suhnoon and his friends and others stood firm against that. And then the, the Ubaidiyun, which they call them the Fatimids, Fatimid dynasty, where Shia, fanatic Shia, took place in North Africa, all North Africa. They forced people to follow their doctrines. The Malikis stood firm there 
and fought against them and they even uh, rebelled against them and they influenced the ruler of North Africa and Muiz Ibn Uziri to split from the from the, the Fatimi dynasty and that's what happened later on especially when they changed their capital from Tunisia to Egypt all North Africa, Morocco uh, uh, Tunisia and Morocco all split from their Ubaidiyun and they uh, decided to go back to the Maliki doctrine so the Qayrawani school was a very interesting school and very beneficial. We had there Suhnoon and his students. And before that, we had Asad ibn al-Furat, who took his lectures from Imam Malik and from the students of Abu Hanifa. And he was the original one to write his uh, book that was called Asadiyya. And he's the one who conquered Sicily. He was a, 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 a general in the battles and he he passed there, and he wrote his uh, Asadiyya, which he, which was actually asked answers from the Iraqi school and comparing it with the answers of the Medini school. Later on, Suhnoon worked on it by asking Ibn Qasim about all those questions again, and he compiled his book, which is called Mudawana, which is the second book in the Maliki school. So Al-Mudawwana is the main book after Al-Muwatta which contains all the opinions of Imam Malik in all branches of jurisprudence from the beginning to the end. There were other uh, things called As-Sama'at which every student hears. Sama'a means hears. And they start writing those Sama'at like Sama'at ibn al-Mawaz, like Majmu'at ibn Abdus, like Sama'at, like al-Utbiyya, that compiled a lot of Sama'at ibn al-Qasim and others. And there's a book called Al-Wadiha, compiled by Abdul Malik ibn Habib, the Andalusian Kurdish scholar, who went to Medina after the, uh, Imam Malik passed, and he took from his students, the Medina students, like Abdul Malik ibn al-Majishon and others, and he wrote his book Al-Wadiha fi sunan Ibn Abi Zayd Al-Qayrawani who inherited the Qayrawani school and he came after he he is considered the the barrier between the old Malikis and the new Malikis although he's in the 4th Islamic century so he wrote his very interesting work which is called so he compiled all those other narrations that are uh, out of Mudawana in 15 or 16 volumes. <coughs> so if you have Al-Muwatta, Al-Mudawana, and Nawadir Al-Ziyadat, you can have the main narrations of the Madhab. Then we have the Andalusian school, which 
had Yahya ibn Yahya al-Layfi, who was the last one to hear al-Muwatta from Imam Malik. Of course, uh, the, 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 and the, uh, the, Qurt, the, the Qayrawani school has Ali ibn Ziyad al-Tunsi, who listened, heard al-Muwatta from Imam Malik. And we have there <coughs> ibn Ghanim, and we have Bahlul ibn Rashid. All these were students of Imam Malik. Direct students, or, or else, and we have Asad ibn Furats. These are direct students. They took from Imam Malik. But Suhnun took from the students of Imam Malik because he didn't manage to meet Imam Malik. He didn't have money. And he went late to Egypt and Hijaz after the Imam Malik passed. So he took from his students, Ibn Qasim, Ibn Wahab, Asbaq ibn Faraj and others. And he took from Asad ibn Furat as well. And Ali ibn Ziyad al-Tunsi as well. Yahya ibn Yahya al-Layfi later on became a very great, a great scholar of Andalusia, Cordoba. So all, uh, and the, 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 the ruler of Andalusia later on decided that there is no other madhab in Andalusia except from the Maliki school. So most of the students of Yahya ibn Yahya al-Layfi were judges and took place in, in Andalusia. And that's how the Maliki doctrine spread there, like it spread in North Africa by Al-Mu'iz ibn Ziri, who stopped all other schools except the Maliki school. And then, later on, when the, when the, uh, the dynasty of uh, Al-Murabitun took place, they were very Maliki, if I can say, very Maliki. The Murabatun are originally from the Grand Sahara, the Shang, which is called now Shangit and other lands. All these lands are called the Grand Sahara, like Azawad, Shangit, and all these places. Those are where the uh, Murabatun are from. They took place there. So the Maliki school spread there, spread strongly. And it became two schools, if I can say. The school that takes care a lot of hadith, like Abdul uh, Malik ibn Habib, and after that comes Al-Hafiz ibn Abdul Barr, rahimahullah, genius two books, Al-Tamheed wal istidhkar which are, uh, which are, uh, commentaries on Al-Muatta and like the school of Nuwab in Egypt and others and we have a school of opinion which is referred to Ibn Al-Qasim rahimahullah. and this second school later on succeeded to become the main school then the Hadith school so it started spreading until it became uh, the Mashhur school until some people say that Mashhur Al Mashhur Madhab is the opinion of Ibn Qasim. But actually, that's not true. Mashhur Al Madhab is not Ibn Qasim's Madhab. Mashhur Al Madhab actually is the, the opinion that most of the Malikis choose because we have a lots of the opinions these scholars didn't use to imitate anybody and search 
they got convinced that origins, the main uh, uh, opinions, the roots of the madhab are right. But that doesn't mean all the opinions they agree with, so therefore they had several opinions. And that those opinions differ from a scholar to another. This school conti- continued to, these two schools, so we had one of the great scholars, Abu Hassan al-Lakhmi, who had a very interesting work on al-Mudawwana called al-Tabsara. And he used to have his own opinions, he didn't used to imitate anybody. And we have the works of al-Imam al-Qadi Abu Bakr al-Arabi al-Mu'afiri, the judge of Sevilla. And we have a lots of other works. But as all the madhahib, after centuries, people start to become lazy having other opinions. So therefore, they just imitate. And as long as time comes far from the original days of the madhahib, people imitate more and more. There's a lot of lot to say about the madhab. The capital of the madhab is Medina. And then after the, 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 the after few years of Imam Malik's uh, Imam Malik passed after he passed by a few years the Ubaidis and stuff like that took place in Hijaz, so they destroyed the works of Sunnah in Medina, and Medina got um, the, 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 the Maliki doctrine became so weak in his city. But the Maliki school was strong in Egypt and in North Africa and in Andalusia. So the second uh, capital, if I can say, is Al-Qairawan, and then Cordoba, and Cairo, and then when Andalusia lost, Cordoba, Cordoba got lost, and the Crusades took place there, the capital became Fez in Morocco, so everybody wants to have more knowledge, he goes to Morocco or Qairawan, we have to use, but Qairawan got destroyed after the 5th century by the, 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 the Bedouins that came from Arabia because the Ubaidi dynasty, when they got kicked out of North Africa, they decided to revenge against uh, Sunnis there. So they sent them the, the, the Arabs, the Bedouins, not the Arabs, the Bedouins, who came, thousands of them, and destroyed North Africa. So later on, the capital of knowledge became Fez and Morocco, especially in the days of the the the, the Marinian, the Marini dynasty in Morocco, which had a lot of great scholars like Imam Al-Qabbab, and uh, we had in those days and in, in the last days of Andalusia, Imam Shatibi, Imam Faraj ibn Lub. And Imam uh, uh, and others, lots of scholars there in, in Delusia.
Imam al-Mawwaq, which is the last scholar of Al-Andalus, and he passed in the same year where Muslims lost Granada under the authority of the the Spanish, the, the, the Spanish, the Spanish uh, Christians. So Fez became the capital of knowledge until it got it got lost when all North Africa got invaded by France, and then so sorry to say that Islamic rules were stopped and. Our country started deriving or taking their laws from the European laws that don't have anything to do with Islam. So, not only the the Maliki jurisprudence became weak, all Islamic jurisprudence became so weak in North Africa. But we can say nowadays the capital of the Maliki school is Shangit, where we still have a lots of schools there, which are called the Mahadir. And we have great scholars like Sheikh Sheikh. Before, so, yeah, I mean, we have Muhammad Salim bin Adud, Rahimahullah, he passed. He's the uncle of Sheikh Muhammad Hassan Dado, Hafizahullah, and we have. Sheikh Abba, uh, and we have Sheikh Muhammad Hassan Al Khadim, and we have uh, a lots of scholars that still have great work, and we have new generations and new scholars nowadays that are starting to write books and uh, showing the commentary. By deriving the uh, by by deriving that from the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu and the evidence of the Prophet Sallallahu like the work that Sheikh Sadiq Al Ghariani of Tripoli, the Mufti of Libya, wrote, and he has very interesting books. And uh, we have some scholars in Tunisia nowadays that wrote very good books, like Habib Bin Tahir that wrote his book Al Fiqh Al Maliki Wa Adilatu which is a very interesting, a very interesting book. And there are other works in Egypt and other places. Even in Morocco, we had some good work uh, by some scholars like Sheikh Muhammad, uh, uh, Muhammad ibn Qasim al-Tawil, scholar of Fez that passed a few years ago, and he left lots of uh, good work. And we have other scholars until now, but they're not so famous, so sorry to say that. And they don't write a lot, but they keep on teaching out anyway. So this is the story of the Maliki school. I would have liked to hear your questions and uh, uh, listen to it. But uh, I don't see any questions here. Uh, This is enough for this uh, lecture. Some some brothers asked, are we forced to follow the Mashur or follow the Rajah? No, we're not, at, uh, we're not supposed to follow Mashur nor Rajah. Uh, we have to study. In the beginning, you follow Mashur because that's what you study. But later on, when you are capable, you follow what is Rajah. Rajah is what the evidence is stronger. Mashur, it's the, the majority of scholars, the Maliki scholars, choose. Um, actually, I, th- this was only a summary or else... 
to speak about the Maliki school, we could have made several lectures about that because there's a lot to say. I didn't speak about the work of Imam Abu Walid bin Rushd, which is a very fantastic work. And he's one of the pillars of Al-Madhab. I didn't speak about the last book that all Malikis now focus on, which is uh, the book of uh, Khalil, Khalil, which has uh, lots of commentaries on it. I didn't speak about the other small books that scholars worked on and they study until now because those are like books that you study, not the books that you derive the whole method from. I'm seeing now some questions here. Yes, Shaykh, where did the Maliki school become so connected to the Ash'ari creed rather than Athari, the Hanbali Athari creed? No, not the Hanbali actually. The Malikis are not Hanbali. Uh, this question is a very important question because when we go back and we see the opinions of Imam Malik in, uh, in his creed, we find that Imam Malik is, is not different from other scholars. When you go back to Sharh Usul Atiqad Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'ah by Imam Lalika'i, Abu Al-Qasim Al-Lalika'i Al-Tabari, he's originally from Tabaristan, which is in Iran now. He's a Shafi'i scholar, and he compiled this great book. It's a very great book. It's one of the biggest books that narrate by chains all the opinions of Sunni scholars in the world, in his days, I mean. So when we see what are the Maliki opinions, and when we see the ancient Malikis like the opinions of Ibn Abd al-Barr, the opinions of Makki ibn Abi Talib al-Qaisi, the opinions of Abu Amr al-Dani, rahimahullah, the opinions of Ibn al-Faradi, the opinions of the scholars that were in, uh, the opinions of Imam Abi Zayd al-Qayrawani, Suhnun ibn Sa'id and others, and uh, Ibn al-Maji Shawn, Ibn Wahab, and uh, Ibn al-Qasim, and uh, all these students, direct students of Imam Malik, we find that they don't differ any, any way from the other opinions of the, the, the scholars of uh, the Muslim scholars that are, that are in the three first centuries, centuries, yes. And when Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal started giving his opinions when he was uh, tried after, in the days of Al-Ma'mun, the Abbasi uh, uh, Caliph, the same thing happened in, in North Africa with Suhnun, who passed in the same year, I mean not the same year, between an Imam Ahmad only one year. And he was trying the same thing. He was going to be punished. He was punished and he was going to be imprisoned. He was going to be imprisoned. And that was a big examination for him. And he stood firm and he said the same opinions of Imam Ahmad Muhammad. Rahimahullah. And that's why one of the scholars says that uh, the madhab is for Shafi'i and Malik, but the one who was famous is Ahmad bin Hanbal. Why? Because he is the one that had to, 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 to speak with loud voice because there was an examination there, but he didn't give anything from his pocket. He said what his scholars say. Ahmad used to tell them, give me only a hadith or an athar to say. I want to speak. I can't speak from my own opinions and that's why 
when the 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 when the the, the, the Imam Abi Zaid al Qayrawani wrote his creed, his uh, book of Risala, he wrote his creed. It was an Athari creed actually, so, and he wrote the same thing more detailed in his uh, summary of Al Mudawana, which is published in four volumes called Al. It's in four volumes, and he had a ch- chapter called Al Jamir, which he mentioned his aqidah there. And the same thing in the dynasty of the Murabitun, which they were Athari until the Muhidun took place, and they started fighting against them in this until and saying that these are people Mujassima. That means uh, the word actually. I can I don't. Uh, I, I, uh, that means when you claim that God is an image or whatever, so they claim that these guys say that God is an image, and they fought against them as if they are not Muslims, and they forced people to become uh, Ashari, and they forced people to become Ashari by uh, by 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 killing anybody who doesn't want to be like that. So therefore, later on, all the Malikis became Ashari, except some few exceptions here and there. That was after the 4th century. That was after the 4th century. So actually, this is uh, the story in, in, in few words. And there's a book written by one of our scholars, especially the Katani scholars. Uh, he's the cousin of my grandfather. He was a very knowledgeable scholar called uh, Sheikh Ibrahim ibn Ahmed ibn Ja'far. Muhammad ibn Ja'far is his uncle. He wrote a book called Salafiyyatul Imam Malik. That means the Salafi school, the, the, the Salafiyyatul Imam Malik. Rahimahullah. So uh, it's, it's published. You can find it. Salafiyyatul Imam Malik. And he mentioned all of his opinions there. Opinions of Imam Malik. You would find that there is no difference between what Imam Malik says and what Ahmad says and what Sufyan uh, says and what other scholars say. And to tell you, to be honest with you, you can go back either even to Kitab Usul Sunnah Lil Imam Bni Abi Zamanin Al Ilbiri, the Andalusian scholar. It's published. You can find his creed. It's so clear as it's an Athari creed. Yes, I can see some questions, other questions here. Uh, okay, so there's no. From. Uh, Abdullah Tariq, what are the basic mutun of fiqh of Imam Malik for a beginner student? Yeah, you have a Mukhtasal Akhdari. It's the first method to start with, and I I I I gave a commentary on it and it's published and it's gonna be inshaAllah and it translated to English as well. But I did it in English. You can find it in English on my uh, YouTube channel. And uh, you can find it uh, in Arabic as well on my YouTube channel. And you have Al-Ashmawiyya. I have a commentary on it. You have, uh, we can make it in English as well. I have it in Arabic, but we can make it in English, inshallah. You have uh, lots of small mutun. You have Al-Izziyya. You have Risat Abi Zayd Al-Qairawani, which is uh, a secondary uh, metan. Uh, and you have Ma'ashir. I have it in English and in Arabic in Ibn Abd al-Barr Academy. You can study that, inshallah. Uh, okay, when I said Hanbali Creed or uh, the, thought it was the same 
as the, uh, the term athari or salafi creed in aqidah barakallahu feek for answering yeah no problem no problem uh, there was a moroccan king from the alawi dynasty which is the same dynasty we live in now his name is uh, sultan muhammad ibn abdullah al-alawi and he used to, to sign his name muhammad ibn abdullah al-hanbali aqidatan al-maliki madhhaban so he used to follow the athari uh, creed so that's why he used to call himself al-hanbali aqidatan yes okay the brothers uh, from uh, Suleiman uh, Kinani, it seems uh, sometimes when there is no proof found for a position in the school, the default is to say, Amal Ahl Medina, even though there is no uh, Nas on this specifically. Is this accurate to say? No, that's not true. No. When they say Amal Ahl Medina, that means there is Amal Ahl Medina, according to the scholars. But you have to prove that there is Amal Ahl Medina. If there's no Amal Ahl Medina, you prove that there's no Amal Ahl Medina, or Ahl Medina have several opinions. And that's why what other scholars do. They say, God, guys, you say that this is Amal Ahl Medina, we prove that this is not Amal Ahl Medina. We have other opinions there. It's not only Medina opinions. Like when they said that Qabd uh, or Sadl, they say Sadl is Amal Ahl Medina, that's not true. We have Mashur al-Madhab, lots of scholars that said Al-Qabd, Mashur al-Madhab, and others says Sadl, and we have Amal Ahl Medina, the majority of scholars of Medina used to say Al-Qabd, not Sadl. So there's, that's not Amal Ahl Medina, that's true. Um Ismail Biu Barak uh, Bronk, it, is it correct that Imam Malik and Imam uh, Hanbali meet and had talks? No, that's not true. Because Imam Malik passed in the year. Uh, no, Imam Malik never met Imam Ahmed Muhammad. Imam Ahmed Muhammad never met Imam Malik. But Imam Malik, uh, Imam Shafi met Imam Malik. Imam Ahmed Muhammad is the student of Imam Malik's students. So he never met Imam Malik. But he took from his students. Uh, from Yusuf Ali, is there anywhere that we can read about the, the famous debate between Ibn Hazm al-Athari and al-Baji al-Maliki rahimahullah oh, to say that Imam al Ibn Hazm al-Athari and Imam al-Baji is Maliki uh, that's not true like that Imam Abu al-Walid al-Baji was an Athari scholar and he was uh, I mean Athari in his uh, fiqh he was considered like Imam Abdul Bar and others and his fantastic work on Al-Muwatta that is called Al-Muntaqa is very, very, very interesting. But uh, Ibn Hazm was Zahiri, not Athari, Zahiri. He has his own way in thinking. The debate actually is uh, published by Dr. Abdul Majid Najjar. Abdul Majid Najjar, I think, is a Tunisian scholar. Uh, and he compiled it in a book, Al-Munadhara, Bayn Al-Walid Baji Ibn Hazm. You can find that it's published in Arabic in Dar, Dar al-Gharb al-Islami. Dar al-Gharb al-Islami. From uh, Taifur Wahid. Taifur Wahid. How, how the Andalusi riwayah were taken and uh, established so we can understand. Yes, the Andalusians used to, lots of them went to Medina and met Imam Malik. There was a scholar called 
Abd al-Rahman ibn Ziyad Shabatun, who met Imam Malik and narrated al-Muwatta from him, and came and spread it in Andalusia, but Yahya heard it from him, and then he decided to go to Medina and hear it from Imam Malik. He was about 25 years old when he met Imam Malik, and he's the last one to, uh, to, to hear Muwatta from Imam Malik, rahimahullah. And there are other scholars that went to Medina. Some of them met Imam Malik, some of them went after Imam Malik, like Abdul Malik ibn Habib, and like uh, Musa ibn Awiyah and like uh, others that met students of Imam Malik, like uh, Isa ibn Aban, who met Imam Abdul Rahman ibn Qasim, and others. So there's, uh, and we have a great scholar that went to Iraq and spread, a, took a lot of knowledge and came back with it to Andalusia, which is Baqi ibn Makhlad. Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah. Mujassima anthropomorphists. Anthropomorphists. Yes, that's it. I didn't know how to pronounce the word, so I just said it in Arabic. Anthropomorphist, or whatever you call it. Okay, another question, Shaykh. Another question, Shaykh, when uh, the scholars say that hadith is my madhab, others say that <coughs> is uh, uh, restricted, it's restricted to their students, uh, and this, Jazakallah khairan, uh, and not to the average people. Could you share your opinion on Yes, of course, a student, a beginner student can't say hadith madhabi because he doesn't know how to derive it. He didn't study usul fiqh. He doesn't know how to uh, understand it. He doesn't, maybe he doesn't even know Arabic properly. So no one can say anybody just goes and just reads a book and says, oh, this is my opinion. There's a lots of work to understand fiqh. You have to study until you become knowledgeable and you know. And then you can say, I, have, I follow this opinion or this other opinion. But when you are still... Beginner, when you're still a beginner, no, you follow your scholars, you follow your teachers, you follow what you studied. And then later on, when you become capable, you learn, you study, you can have your own opinion. From John Terry, why the Maliki ideas were not translated to, uh, uh, transmitted to Southeast Asia? Uh, the Asians... Most of the Asians used to come to Iraq and take from the scholars of Iraq. So they don't need to go to take from Medina. Whereas the Moroccans or the Westerns used to go and stop in Medina. That's it. They don't go to Iraq. They don't go anywhere. Why should they go there? They just reach to Medina. They make their pilgrim and stuff like that. And they take knowledge from Medina and go back home. So they didn't need to go there. Whereas the Asians, no. They go to Iraq. They go to Medina and they go back to Iraq. Iraq was full of scholars from all types of scholars. So that's why most of the Asians were Hanafis or Shafi'is. Some of them were Hanbalis as well. Final question. Why is Ibn Rushd recognized as a figure within the Madhab despite his uh, unorthodox philosophical view? No, Ibn Rushd, we have two Ibn Rushd. We have the grandfather and the grandson. The grandfather is one of the pillars of the Madhab, the Maliki school, because of his great work that he did. 
and he is one of the scholars when we say this is mashur madhab it's one of the opinions that he says i think connected by the opinions of uh, of Lakhmi or others i think so i think so where actually and uh, ibn uh, and uh, khalil in his uh, in his comment in his book he took from ibn rushd uh, uh, and uh, ibn ibn uh, al Has- abu hasan al lakhmi and al burzulli ibn rushd al lakhmi al burzulli and uh, and others and maybe uh, ibn arafa or whatever uh, i think so no, not Ibn Arafah, no. I don't know exactly whom. Anyway, these three scholars. And he compiled and took the, mo- the main opinions of them and squeezed it in his book. So Ibn Rushd is one of the pillars of the madhab. But his, stu- his grandson is not like that at all because he's considered as a philosopher. Yes, he has his Bidayat al-Mujtahid. Yeah, people benefit from it, but it's not considered as one of the main books of the madhab. And he is not considered as one of the great scholars of the madhab because he's known as a philosopher more than being known as a faqih. Allah ta'ala Thank you very much for being patient with me. And see you later, inshallah, in a new lecture. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.